0: hi this is Ben Lowell and welcome to back to the Bible Canada. during today's program we'll continue our current series the Power of the Gospel with Dr. John Newfeld shedding light on what it means for us to be raised with Christ. So let's go back to the Bible as we study Romans chapter 6 verses 8 to 14. I
1: wonder if you've ever watched a hockey game where one side has more time of puck possession, more shots on goal, a more consistent power play, and they clearly carry the game and exhibit great strategy, and yet they lose the game. You know, this happens on occasion. It reminds us that the object of hockey is not getting better stats. The object is getting more goals than your opponent. That's the only thing that counts. How silly it would be for a team to concentrate on and celebrate statistics and ignore scoring. That doesn't mean the other things are not important, but the only way of winning, the only way, is to outscore your opponent. See, the sad thing is that some Christians are like that. The only thing they concentrate on is winning the battle over sin, and that's not what the Christian life is all about. Now, I fear someone's going to misunderstand me. You'll assume I don't think overcoming sin is important. Well, it is, but that's not the goal of your life. You know, some time ago, I was in the home of a Christian woman. Who showed me a picture of Jesus she had hanging on the wall, and she asked me whether I thought that was wrong, and I said, I really don't understand. Well, she said, We're told in our church that pictures of Jesus are really idolatry. I told her that anything that we can't do in faith is sin, so did she think it to be idolatry? Well, she said she didn't, but she didn't worship the picture. She had the picture to remind her of her Savior. As I got to know this woman and her family, I found out that the entire life of these people was taken up in avoiding sin or avoiding everything that might possibly be sin, for they never knew when they might be crossing the line and be sinning when they weren't aware of it. Listen, I know of some Christians who think it's wrong to laugh. Christians, after all, are locked into a life and death struggle with the world of flesh and the devil, and who jokes in the middle of a war? Apparently, only those who are not involved in the fight, at least so they think. I once knew a woman who thought her husband was carnal because he watched Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. She eventually divorced him because of his carnality. I don't even know where to begin to describe how sick that is. But just maybe, my dear listener, you're one of those people who find yourself thinking that way. Your entire life is taken up in battling sin, and the war is so tough. And I understand. In a very real way, that is a description of the Christian life. We must not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. If you're not taking sin seriously, I've got to wonder about you. But hear me, that's not the goal of your faith. The goal of your faith is the pleasure and the treasure chest of delight in knowing the risen Christ. We were created to revel in him and in his world, in his creation. You can find joy in Christ while fishing and motorcycling and and so forth, but it is Christ who is at the heart of all you do and say and enjoy and strive for. We've been studying Romans 6, and yesterday we said that Christians have died with Christ, and in consequence, we are no longer enslaved with sin. Like a slave set free from his master, we have been set free from sin, but the old master keeps wanting to treat us in the way he always has, making demands on our lives. But according to Romans 6, 1-7, we were not only united with Christ in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. So from that, let's get a sense of the meaning of the resurrected life. Let's start with Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, please notice, first of all, the words with him, died with him, live with him. Finally and ultimately, we live with Christ. We were created to be with him. And that's the goal of the game. And if you pay close attention to verse 8, you will see that the tenses are somewhat interesting. We died with Christ past tense. While I was converted, I died with Christ. But now comes something else. I will live with him, future tense. That would seem to indicate in the future, I will live with him. Perhaps Paul has eternity in mind. Now, that is true, no doubt about it, that we will live with him after we have been bodily raised from our own death. But do you notice the language is all taken up in the words with him? Notice how similar this is to Romans 6 verse 5, where again, the language is united with him in a death like his. We will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, the language has to do with being with or in Christ. Let me put it this way. I remember what happened when Kathy and I first got married. I got a change of status. I used to be a single man, a bachelor. And one day, and that fact, it was the day before our wedding, Kathy said, I'm about to blow your bachelor life to bits. And she did. I, I was now a married man. I got a wedding ring. I would eventually get a house. I would get more bills than I had ever imagined. I would get a family in the end. I'd get something called responsibilities. It all went with being married, but that's not all I got. What I really think about is the fact that Kathy and I were together all the time. I came home from work. Kathy was there. I didn't go to pick her up for a date. We went out for one together, and we came back together to the same house and, yeah, the same bed. We walked together and talked together and pray together and fight together and make up together. I didn't marry Kathy for the wedding ring or the change in status or the bills. I married her because I wanted to be with her. And that's the resurrection to come for the believer. Some of us, when we think of heaven, think about seeing our loved ones or streets paved with gold or a city not made with hands or never dealing with death or sighing or mourning or pain. Now, I know that all of that comes with heaven, but you miss the point. I know that's all part of the package, but I want heaven because I want Jesus. I want my faith to be sight. All these years, I've prayed to him, but I've never seen him. I trusted his word. I read about him. I sensed his hand, but I have never seen him, and I really want to. You see, whatever else resurrection life is, we often think of eternity or power and authority here, but that's all secondary. Resurrection life is the fulfillment of the longing heart to live the life with Jesus. And so in anticipation of seeing him then, God has already partially invaded the present with the future. I have begun in a way that anticipates what is to come to live with him today. Now let's go to verses 9 to 10. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You know, verses 9 to 10 really speak about Jesus' experience. But with each statement of Jesus' experience, there is an implied statement of our unity with him. We share his experience. So in verse 9, we are told that when Jesus rose from the dead, he is no longer subject to death, and so death has been defeated in him. Well, that's not only true of Jesus, but since we are united with him, it's now true of us. Now, we might struggle with this because we don't feel that way at all times. But in fact, Jesus has already defeated death on our behalf. Right now, death lies defeated and in ruins before every believer. Let me explain. In the Bible, sin is connected with death, and death comes to each person as judgment for their sin. Death opens the doorway to eternal judgment, and that's what makes it so frightening. Except for the believer. At one time, death was the doorway through to the judgment hall. Now it's the doorway through to glory. I remember standing at the bedside of a a dying saint, and her last words to me were, I'm almost there. I remember that because there was a fierce delight in her eyes, such as I had never seen before. She was about to see Jesus. Death had completely lost its power to sting her. And that's the resurrection life. It lives without the fear of death. I had a conversation with my brother some time ago, and and he was telling me of a conversation he had with a man who had just turned 40. The man was shocked that such a thing, turning 40, could happen to him. And he told my brother that he was afraid. Half his life was already over, and he knew he was going to die. He said, I don't want to die. Listen, as a believer, you can talk about death without fear. You can get older with great joy. You can even hear that you have a terminal disease without falling apart. Why, death has lost its sting. Your life is in Jesus, and his life is indestructible. So what's resurrection life? It is created to be with him. It lives without the fear of death. Again, I need to repeat this, for it is so precious. Since we are united with him, the battle over death has already been won. But verse 10 tells us that not only has the battle with death already been won, so also has the battle with sin. But how can that be true given that every believer still struggles with sin? And when we come back, we're going to have to try to understand our experience in the light of the teaching of Scripture,
0: and that makes all the difference. For the Christian, the goal of life is really about longing for the day when we will see Jesus. When we begin to live with the expectation and hope of the life to come, when we reflect on what His resurrection means for us, our faith is built on a solid foundation. These are wonderful truths to ponder. But when we come back, Dr. Neufeld will help us understand how to put them into practice. Have you asked for your free Bible teaching CD series? Well, this month we're pleased to offer our listeners Dr. Newfeld's one-week series called Remembering the Second Coming of Jesus. As we begin another year, let's ponder the reality and significance of the return of Christ and how that impacts the way we live today. Dr. Newfeld sets the record straight in showing us what the Bible really teaches about this often misunderstood topic a great series to keep and share with others. So get your free CD series by calling 1-800-663-2425 or emailing us at info at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld.
1: According to Romans 6.10, we died with Christ to sin and our life now has been given over to God. Christ, in his death, has purchased our lives. There's a house in White Rock, B.C. that Kathy and I built back in 1986. I can still remember Kathy. It was spring and there was lots of rain. And there, down in the mud with rubber boots on, she stood alongside of me, stripping the wooden forms off of the concrete. My dad was the builder, but Kathy and I did the grunt work. And in the end, it was our house. We raised our kids in that house. I have so many happy memories there. But then came the day when we signed the deed of our house over to someone else. And every once in a while, I'll drive by that old house. But something is different. In the olden days, I would drive my car right into the driveway, walk up the front stairs, open the door, throw my keys onto the table, sit down in a chair, put up my feet and say, ha ha, I'm home. And if I did that now, well, I'd be arrested. My house has been given over to another. And that's the idea of my life. My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God, and so I can never treat it the way I once did. It isn't mine. And that's the cornerstone of all sanctification. It begins by saying that I can't claim ownership to that which is sold to another. But practically, what does that mean? All that's good theology, but how do we work that out in the everyday details of our life? And by the way, that's crucial. What Romans 6 is about is not just good news, it's the pattern for our life. What a tragedy it would be for this stuff to have no practical reality in our lives. The fact is, this is a wonderful truth that our old life has been killed and we live now by the power of the resurrection. How sad it would be if there was nothing more to it than that. But there is. Now that we have died with Christ and will live with Christ, commands are given to us. Make no mistake about it. Now that you know about this transfer of ownership, Christ has some commands for you. No, not just suggestions, commands. After all, He owns you. And there are in this passage four distinct commands based upon the new life that He has given. Here's the first You need to rethink your identity. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The key word is the word consider. There needs to be a settled conviction in your heart. When you think of yourself, you must think of yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. It's a battle for your mind. Those of you who have a profession that gives you a title might be able to identify with that. I remember the time after I had defended my theses that a group of men in a room rose up, stretched out their hands, and said, Congratulations, Dr. Neufeld. First time I ever heard that. I thought, I'm not the real deal. Now, those of you who are medical doctors will remember the first time someone called you Dr. Smith or or something like that. Or when you joined the police and for the first time were called by the title officer. At first, you might have thought you were a fraud. And after a while, you not only accepted your identity, but your life became shaped by your identity. See, imagine a doctor who did not consider his identity. He says to his patients, well, this is what I think. What do you think? Or a police officer, I think this is probably against the law and you should be arrested. But what do you think? You see, once you embrace your identity, you simply act differently. So who are you? Now, this is not the power of positive thinking. If you're not a Christian, you can do this all you want, and it will not help you to be what God wants you to be. But once you're truly in Christ, God wants you to consider your identity. You are crucified with Christ. Your old self is nailed to the cross with Jesus. Your sin nature has been rendered powerless. You have been raised with Christ. You have been recreated to be with him, and you are his property, free from the power of sin and death. Have you embraced this? Someone will say, but I'm not a good Christian, or I'm not very effective in following Jesus. Stop. What is your identity? Consider, what does God say you are? Now, that's the first command. Here's now the second. Refuse to bow to sin's demands. Let's read verse 12. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Notice here that once you adopt your identity, you are given a mandate to live within your identity. But more so, you must refuse the demands of the body. See, interestingly enough, Paul says the body has deeds. The deeds of the body, he says. Dallas Willard said, "...for good or evil, the body lies right at the center of the spiritual life." Our body is an essential part of who we are. It is through our body that we are given a family, a gender, a language, a culture, a set of talents, and opportunities. Through the body comes desire and ideas and sensations and emotions. I develop my personal history and sense of identity through my body. Now here's the question: Who owns your body? Who has dominion or power over it? If you're a Christian, you know the answer. Now imagine with me that you were once in the army. You had a cruel and demanding sergeant. He shouted at you and mocked you and treated you with contempt. He anticipated your rebellion, and you cringed in fear at his demands. Now imagine you're discharged from the army, and the sergeant meets you in the street. He walks straight up to you, and you just freeze, and you remember what he's done to you. He looks into your eyes and says, Soldier, salute. And right then, at that very moment, you can cower and salute, or you can consider your new identity, look at him in the eye and say, No, you have no authority over this body anymore and that's the image. You can refuse sin's demands over your body. You might be intimidated, but you must refuse to bow to sin's demands. Live, says Paul, in keeping with your identity. You don't have to bow to sin. Third, don't surrender your weapons to the enemy. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments of righteousness. Now, the members spoken of here are still members of the body. But, and this is really a military analogy for in an effect, the passage can be translated as, do not offer up in military service your members to sin. You know, during the Russian conflict in Chechnya, Some Russian soldiers, because of their low pay, actually sold their weapons to the enemy for money. I mean, how short-sighted, for those very weapons were used to kill them. See, whenever you or I allow our bodies to become the place where sin develops, we are in fact doing the same thing. Our bodies can indeed be a powerful weapon used for the glory of God. Our mouths can be used to preach the gospel, our hands to feed the poor, our desires to show love to our spouses, our energy to give to the Lord's work. These bodies were purchased by Christ for himself, and they belong to his glory. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven. Paul says, I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We need to make these bodies serve Christ as powerful weapons in his war. We need to learn to press our bodies into the service of Christ and to keep away from self-indulgence because of our new identity. We must not be like those who say that the body is only going to die anyway, and what I do doesn't matter. Indeed, Jesus was raised bodily, and so we shall also, and therefore the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul leads us to a grand truth found in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You don't need law because sin does not rule you. Grace rules you. I began speaking about the intended life. I said that the goal of Christianity is not sin avoidance. I said the goal of the Christian life is the pleasure of knowing the risen Christ. The goal is to be like Jesus, to be just like him. It is to hunger to be with him, free from the authority of sin and death, just like he is. It is to see Christ and through Christ, in relationship to Christ, discover joy in everything I do. Do you simply believe in that reality or are you living it out? See, that's the question. And as you continue to listen, my prayer is that all of us together will learn to live within the freedom that Christ has given us.
0: John, what a great and encouraging message Uh, to know that I don't have to be controlled by sin as a result of what Christ has done for me. But you know, like it talks about in Romans chapter seven, there's this still this battle within me. How do I overcome that battle with sin?
1: Yeah, I, I, we're going to talk about Romans 7, obviously, when we get to Romans 7. But for now, I think it's very important for the believer to do what Paul says we should do. Consider ourselves, reckon ourselves, think of ourselves this way. We are dead to sin. Until you believe that you have been emancipated by uh, from sin, I should say— You will not act within that emancipation. You'll be like the slave that keeps getting called back to slavery, and you'll obey that call because you haven't yet internalized what has been done. We need to return back to Romans 6 over and over and over again. That's the groundwork upon which the battle can be fought. Without standing on that ground, we will always lose. So I think that's helpful.
0: Well, what a hopeful and yet challenging message. I hope that today's study has given you a deeper sense of how we've been raised with Christ. This isn't just a theoretical principle, but it empowers us to defeat sin. We understand that we've been freed from the law of death, and now we live under the rule of His grace. No matter where we're at in our faith journey, may we take and apply these important truths so that we can be more like Christ. Join us tomorrow for the next message in our Roman series, The Power of the Gospel, with Dr. John Newfeld, as we continue in chapter 6. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. As a Bible teaching and engagement ministry, we're committed to using as many mediums as we can to share the truth of God's Word. You may already be familiar with our popular resource called Bible Matters, which is sent out as a free publication offering a variety of articles from Dr. Neufeld and others. Well, we're excited to announce the launch of a new and improved ministry magazine beginning this February. This new format will combine great Bible teaching and life application articles along with news and updates from all of our ministries. The new magazine will appeal to a wide audience and speak well into the issues of real life and a living faith. Each issue will offer more content and allow you to stay connected with all of our ministries Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt. So stay tuned for our brand new magazine coming next month. And if you've never received one of our publications before, you can subscribe for free today by calling us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or emailing us at info at backtothebible.ca.